If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is resurrection morning, although in truth the reason that we gather and worship every Sunday is it is a celebration of the resurrection of our Savior Jesus, but this day tends to hold a special significance in our minds, and so we're going to use the occasion to depart briefly from our study in 1 John and look at the resurrection of Jesus this morning. This morning's message is probably going to set the record for my shortest sermon title ever. The message this morning is simply entitled, If. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he's not raised up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Then if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Earlier this week on Fox News, the eminent theologian Joel Osteen was given the opportunity to explain to the nation what today is all about. <clears throat> this is what he said. Well, you know, Easter's the resurrection. And there can be things in our life that look dead, dead dreams, dead relationships, you know, maybe something like, you know, your, your heart, it feels like it's kind of dead, like you're never going to get well, never break an addiction. But I believe one message of the resur- Easter is resurrection, and that is that God can resurrect dead things in our lives. Thank you for withholding your amens and applause. The resurrection of Jesus is not about how God can fix dead things in your life like your relationships or your dreams or even your health. And to consider the resurrection in that way is to ignore what it truly means. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundational truth of Christianity that proves that God has intervened to save hell-bound sinners from his wrath. The resurrection is proof of what sets Jesus apart. Everyone lives and everyone dies and anyone could call themselves the son of God, but Jesus actually proved it by raising from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the pivotal truth of Christianity. I know we think about the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross that way, 
but the resurrection is of equal importance. We should, and it's right for us to frequently go back in our minds to the cross of Christ and the love that he showed for sinners there. But do not think that the gospel message stops at Calvary's Hill. It does not. If you look up in verses 3 and 4 of, our, of this chapter, you will see that Paul explains the gospel in three simple points. He says that the gospel is how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We remember the death of Jesus and we should, but the the death of Jesus is not exclusive from the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the empty tomb of Christ proclaims the truth of what was happening on the cross of Christ. It shows us what he accomplished. The the Savior who died on the cross stayed in the tomb for three days, but then it was found empty. Empty because it's not possible that death could hold him. And because death has no hold on our Savior, then we have hope that death has no hold on us either. In fact, if you go and you look through the book of Acts, you'll find that the early church proclaim the resurrection of Jesus as the most important, most pivotal fact. They spend the vast amount of their time preaching the resurrection. If you are a believer, then you were baptized. You were baptized. You were making a declaration that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was for you, that you believe in his death, burial and resurrection and that it applies to you through faith so that when you were baptized you died to your old self and what was buried under the water rose again to walk as Paul says in in newness of life Christ's resurrection is the focal point of your faith it is not telling you that God can bring your dead dreams back to life it's telling you that the son of God has fulfilled his promise to give you everlasting life. Last Sunday morning, in our first service, we saw in Revelation 1.5 that John called Jesus the first begotten of the dead or the firstborn of the dead. And what we said then was that a Christian isn't just a believer in the resurrection. John wants us to understand a Christian is a participant in the resurrection. By his life, we have life. We'll see in a moment, that's what Paul means in our text down in verse 20 when he calls Jesus the first fruits of them that slept. And so in this passage, Paul feels compelled to address a problem in the church at Corinth in regard to the resurrection of Jesus. You can see in verse 12, some men had crept into the church and were spreading this outlandish claim of denying the, the, uh, denying the resurrection. But instead of confronting this claim with, his, with Paul's sort of customary, straightforward authority, Paul does something different in this text. He, he sort of lets their position marinate for a few moments. Seven times in these nine verses, he uses that little word, if, to give us an opportunity to see, like, what, what would the consequences be if they were right? What if they're right? What if the resurrection is a hoax or a misunderstanding? What, what could that mean? 
And so through this text, Paul is writing, well, here's what the deniers of the resurrection say. And if they're right, here's what that would mean for us. And as he walks us through the logic in verses 12 through 20, we'll see that if Jesus hasn't risen, if Jesus has not risen, the gospel is groundless, our preaching is meaningless, our faith is useless, our witness is worthless, forgiveness is powerless, dead saints are lifeless, and our prospects are hopeless. I don't know of any other passage of scripture that's so clear as this in describing the importance of the resurrection. Our hope for salvation lies in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So I just want us to go through this and embrace this text the way that Paul wrote it. So for a brief moment, he intends for us to sort of writhe and squirm as we consider the implications of what life would be without a risen Savior. Without the resurrection, the gospel is groundless. Look at verse 13. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. These resurrection deniers, apparently, they didn't start off by saying, well, we deny the resurrection of Jesus happened. They started by simply saying, well, believers in Jesus, they're never going to rise. They're not going to have everlasting life. But Paul says those two ideas are so inseparably connected that you can't have one without the other. So if... In general, nobody rises from the dead. Then, specifically, he says, Christ didn't rise from the dead. The problem, of course, is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that would mean either, one, that Jesus either never died, which would negate the gospel, or that Jesus was still dead, which would negate the gospel. The gospel, the good news is what Paul describes, as I said, up in verses 3 and 4, that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, just as God said he would. Several years ago, I visited a church that was seeking a pastor, and it's always fun to sit down with the people who have questions and want certain answers. And I was informed in that interview process that their church didn't celebrate Easter, not because they denied the resurrection of Jesus, but because they considered the the word Easter and some of the common celebrations to be pagan in nature. And I'm perfectly fine with that position. But I was told by them that as a result of not celebrating Easter, they wouldn't allow the pastor to preach on the resurrection on Easter Sunday. To put it mildly, they were surprised when I looked at them and said, are there any other days out of the year where the pastor's not allowed to preach the gospel? Because whatever other abuses exist, we can't shrink away from declaring the gospel, the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And his resurrection from the dead is central to the gospel message. It sets faith in Jesus apart from any of the other world's religions. For Buddhists, Gautama Buddha is dead. Islam has to admit that Muhammad is dead. Mormons know that Joseph Smith is dead. They all died and they all stayed dead. 
And the Bible itself records the death of many heroic saints. Tony Merida notes, Genesis ends with Joseph dead. Deuteronomy ends with Moses dead. Joshua ends with Joshua dead. But the Gospels end with Jesus risen from the dead. And that makes all the difference. We serve a living Savior. But to be clear, if you're asked how you know that he lives, it isn't simply because he lives in your heart. It's because he lives in actuality. He rose from the grave. Up in verses 5 through 8, Paul calls witnesses, essentially, to the fact of Jesus' resurrection. And he says in those verses that there were witnesses to it, including, he says, Peter, and then all of the apostles, he gets to verse 6, he says, over 500 brothers at one time, the greater part remain into this present. In other words, he's telling the readers there are still plenty of witnesses still alive. Go ask them what they saw. But the greatest witness to Jesus' resurrection is Jesus himself. In Revelation John calls him the true and faithful witness. And this is what Jesus declares of himself in Revelation 1, verse 18. He says to John, I am he that lives and was dead. And look, I am alive forevermore. Without his life today, interceding for his people, the gospel is groundless. Saying it, without the resurrection, our preaching is meaningless. Verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Y'all, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what am I even doing up here? This would be a complete waste of your time and my time. All Christian preaching would be vain because the message wouldn't be true anymore. We preach that Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, but those prophecies repeatedly argue for an eternal Messiah, an always living Messiah, one who literally lives and reigns forever. If Jesus isn't alive, then he isn't the Messiah, and that makes all Christian preaching pointless. Makes all Christian preachers liars. Paul has just said that the resurrection is necessary for the gospel to be true. Without a risen Savior, there's no good news. And now he expands on that to say, well, then all preaching would be vain. The word vain here that he uses literally means empty. (laughs) There would be nothing to it. It would be pointless. It would be hollow. It would be empty. Now, You realize what that tells us about the nature of preaching, though. All preaching is to be gospel preaching. And to do gospel preaching, that doesn't mean, you know, waiting around 45 minutes and then appending the gospel of Jesus to whatever you've been saying for the first 44 minutes. I mean, you've heard that done. You know, here's, here's 40 minutes of why men should have beards and women should wear dresses and your, your worship song shouldn't use drums. Now before I close, let me just say something about Jesus. No, in everything we preach, it should be Christ-centered because the Bible itself is Christ-centered. And if a preacher doesn't know how the, the text that he's preaching connects to Jesus, then he ought to study it until he figures it out. And I'm not saying that with any sense of smugness because I have to do that myself. 
There are times where I'm like, no, I, I don't think I still get it yet. What Paul means here by, then is our preaching vain, is that if Jesus didn't rise, there's no gospel. And if Jesus didn't rise, then all of Paul's preaching was meaningless. Listen, if not for the resurrection, Paul would have been better off remaining a Pharisee than to, wasting, than to waste his time on pointless missionary journeys. But now he moves from the gospel and then to himself and to the readers. Not only would preaching be meaningless, but without the resurrection, our faith is useless. Verse 14 again, if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the gospel is groundless and I'm wasting my time preaching it and you're wasting your time if you believe it. If Jesus is not alive today, then he has saved you from nothing. Y'all, we need a risen Savior. If your faith is placed in a 2,000-year-old decomposed corpse that's still laying in the grave, then your faith is just as dead as that corpse would be. Paul intends for us to have this as like this Startling prospect. He uses that word vain again, which means empty or or nothingness. But the word order as Paul wrote it is a little bit different than it gets translated and brought over into English. Both times he uses that word vain in verse 14. Vain is in the primary position. It's the emphasis. It's the first word. Vain is our preaching. Vain is your faith. To declare the message of Christianity or to believe the message of Christianity, it will do nothing for you unless Jesus has risen from the dead. So following Paul's logic, the resurrection is vital for the gospel first. And if the resurrection isn't true, the first implication is that the gospel's not true. The second is that those who are preaching the gospel and all of God's word are are wasting their time then those who believe the message are also believing to your own detriment. It would be a fruitless endeavor. And so the next logical step is, well, if that's what it meant for the gospel and for those who preach the gospel and for those who believe the gospel, what about for for unbelievers? What appeal can a Christian make outside of the resurrection of Jesus? How could we witness to anyone? And so Paul says next, without the resurrection, witness is worthless. Look at verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he's not raised up, if, it be, if so be that the dead rise not. Y'all, have you ever been caught lying in like a really embarrassing way? It's not fun, right? doesn't feel good. Immediately others, the ones who caught you, have this sense of moral superiority over you. When you look at verse 15, note that word found. The word found there means caught. We are found out as false witnesses of God. We've been caught lying, Paul says. If there's no resurrection, then those who declare resurrection have been caught as liars. Paul wouldn't be able to say this if Christianity was just some system of 
good advice and moral teaching to follow, if Christianity was just some program or some system of behavior to be followed, then it could survive without the resurrection of Jesus. But Christianity is not a program to be followed. Christianity is a person to be followed. And that person has to be alive. If he's not alive, he can't lead you anywhere. And you understand, Paul and the other apostles, they aren't just trying to sell a system of good works and wise moral teaching. They've made the declaration that Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. And that declaration that they make is not, well, we think so. It's an absolute assertion that they know it to be true. Paul uses the term witnesses and testified, like presenting evidence, a witness essentially testifies of what it is that they have seen themselves. Not what they think to be true, but what they know because they've seen it. In this case, Paul has already made a list of people who saw the risen Jesus after he died. Peter, he says, all of the apostles, over 500 men at once. Finally, Paul himself, by his own testimony, he found himself on his knees before Jesus on the road to Damascus. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus down from the cross. Mary Magdalene and several other women witnessed the empty tomb. They were there. They were told by an angel, he's risen. He's not here. Peter and John were witnesses because they ran to the tomb and found it empty. We can read in Luke 24 of a man named Cleopas and another disciple walked with the risen Jesus down the road to Emmaus. Later that night, all of the apostles, with the exception of Thomas, saw Jesus in the upper room. He, he sat with them. He ate with them. And when Thomas wasn't there and refused to believe, finally Jesus appeared again risen before him and said, touch, touch the wounds in my hands and my side. No, know that it's me. I'm really alive. You know, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it's not that those folks would be simply mistaken. It's that they would be outright lying about it. They were in a position to know the truth. And yet, what do we see from their lives? Even, even unbelieving historians accept that the apostles went about preaching the resurrection of Jesus until one by one they were either executed, murdered, banished for life, unwilling to recant their faith in the resurrected Jesus. It's possible, I suppose, that some people would be willing to die for what they believe to be true. But the apostles were different. They would be dying for what they knew was a lie if they were making this up. That's what Paul means. We are found false witnesses. We, if Jesus hasn't risen, we'd be caught lying. Can you imagine Paul, the guy who was rejected by his family, arrested, had to be snuck out of towns. He was scourged multiple times, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, saying, ah, you got me. I've just been kidding about the whole thing.
He's not done. The implications get even worse. Without the resurrection, forgiveness is powerless. Verses 16 and 17, for if Christ rise not, then is not Christ, or sorry, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Then if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. So Paul's expanding on what he said up in verse 14, your faith is also vain. Now though, he uses a, a slightly different word for vain. That first time it meant empty and the word vain here in verse 17 is the Greek word meaning fruitless or uh, futile. Without the resurrection, he says, faith in Jesus is futile. It, it's fruitless. It doesn't bring you anything. You're still in your sins. Faith is fruitless without the resurrection because without the living Jesus, you've got no hope for forgiveness. Remember what he says up in verses three and four? I delivered unto you first of all what I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If Jesus died and stayed dead, what help is that to you in regard to your sins? The gospel is that Jesus died for your sins and that he was buried and then he rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the Father's stamp of approval on his perfect life and his death in the place of sinners. The, the resurrection of Jesus is proof that God is satisfied with what he's done. His everlasting life is assurance that when he says, whosoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life, you can believe it because that life is his to give. He's defeated death. His resurrection is what assures us that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Without Jesus being alive today, you do not have everlasting life. You are not reconciled to God. You have no advocate on your side. You are still plagued with the presence and the power and the penalty of sin. Unless Jesus rose from the grave, there's no power in the gospel to forgive you for how you've offended God. And so without the resurrection, you might as well abandon faith and try to find some other means to obtain forgiveness. And there are none. But Paul's not done. Because while you and I could decide, well, if it's pointless, we might as well do something else with our lives, for some people it would be too late to do that. And so now he explains, without the resurrection, dead saints are lifeless in verse 18. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. Consider the implications for our dearly departed friends and family. As I think back on those saints that we've lost recently and even further back, I take some comfort in the expectation that they are right now united with Jesus. But Paul seeks to sort of briefly and temporarily steal that comfort from us in making this argument. If Jesus isn't risen, then all those who have died believing in him are forever and finally dead. They are perished, he says. Literally, that word means destroyed. 
as I stood and watched the dirt fall on my father's coffin not too long ago, I knew that place, that is not his final resting place. It's temporary. I believe that to be true because the Bible tells me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I also believe it to be true because Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 that at the return of Jesus and the final trump sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first. That tr- the, the truth that, that undergirds that, that, that holds up that hope for us, that our loved ones who, who've died in Christ are with him, What holds that up is the resurrection of Jesus himself. The resurrection of Jesus is the the basis of our hope when we mourn for those who we've lost. Listen, Paul's not going to to drop this question here. He's going to circle back around to this and give us reassurance of their victory over death when you look down at verses 55 through 57. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that can bring us hope for our departed loved ones because only the resurrection of Jesus changes destruction into victory. He also says without the resurrection, our prospects are hopeless. Verse 19 if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Without the resurrection, then those who have died in faith are, are perished. That means when a, when a believer dies, their hope dies with them. And so Paul says, if, if it's only in this life that we have hope, like if that confident expectation doesn't extend past death and come to fruition in eternity, then we're living a lie and we are the most pathetic creatures walking the face of the earth. We're laying up treasure in a place that doesn't exist. Can you imagine the sad existence, the Apostle Paul and all he did, all he suffered, all he endured, if it turned out to be pointless? If you spent your life trying to bring glory to Jesus and it turns out Jesus is just a rotting corpse? The word miserable there that he uses, of all men most miserable is the word that means pitied. There would be nothing more pitiful in this world than a Christian living for a Savior who is dead. Thankfully, this is where the transition starts. Remember, Paul is just letting the implications of that no resurrection teaching sink in. Like, you know, before, before swatting it down, make sure you get the full effect of what it would mean if, if there was no resurrection. But he's not going to leave us there forever. So in verse 20, you can see the text transitions from if to is. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. I have to explain this first fruits idea for a second because it is an Old Testament idea we're not always familiar with. The, the feast of first fruits in the Old Testament was the 
annual celebration at harvest in which the harvest was gathered and the first, the best portion of the harvest was to be offered to the Lord with the expectation that there would be more harvest to follow as he blessed his people. So they would go out in the field and they would collect the most choice, the best, the the greatest yield first, and they would thank God for it and they would thank God trusting that the harvest didn't stop there. Jesus is the first fruits from the dead, Paul says. He is the best the primary, the greatest example, and through faithfulness to him, we can trust that there's more to come, right? There's more harvest after that. He's risen to life, and he provides life for us to follow. There's so many certain and infallible proofs that Jesus lives that that Paul can even bring himself to mock death down in verse 55. Death's got no sting. Death's got no victory. Death is like if you were holding in your hand a wasp that didn't have a stinger. Well, it might look scary, but it's got nothing it can really do to hurt you. It can't win because death has already been defeated by Jesus, the firstfruits, and because death couldn't hold him, We know it won't hold us either. Those who believe in Jesus are that great harvest to follow. And so all the implications in the text then get turned upside down through the resurrection of Jesus. Our prospects aren't hopeless. We're not the most pitiful people. We're the most joyful because we're living this life for a Savior who has promised us everlasting life and he lives to give that to us. Dead saints aren't lifeless. They're right now absent from the body, but they are present with the Lord. Forgiveness isn't powerless, right? There's power in the blood of Jesus. It's the price paid to ransom us from our sins. Our witness isn't worthless. When the gospel is declared, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, that message is an invitation to be accepted and it is a command to be obeyed. Our faith is not useless, it's not empty. We are filled to overflowing with unspeakable joy. Preaching is not meaningless. Every word of scripture is pure and true. It points to Jesus who died and was buried and rose again. And through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. And the gospel isn't groundless. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Sometimes if can be a scary word. It's a a frightening study, the implications of what would be if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But praise God, Jesus is risen from the dead, and that makes all the difference for us.